Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Good reaction there, Sandrine. So, Father, we just open our hearts to your word today, and we ask that you would uh, speak to us, that you would quicken your word. Hallelujah. Help us to understand. Help us to understand who you are, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, you're all very welcome today, and I just want to acknowledge our uh, online audience. I know there's people uh, watching from various parts of the country and even different parts of the world, and uh, we're so glad that you're here with us today. I believe this message will bless your life, and um, we're going to start by reading the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, and then he said, Uh, Luke chapter 15 verse 11 then he said a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the portion of goods that falls to me so he divided to them his livelihood and not many days after the younger son gathered all together journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living but when he had spent all there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swines ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hard servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hard servants. And he arose and came to his father. But he was still a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring in his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us be eaten, be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, would not go in. Therefore his father came and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And um, so, Lord, I just pray today that you would enable us to understand this parable and all that we're going to cover today. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. And um, so, uh, this is such a powerful um, parable. you know, the younger came to the father and said, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And I think he stops short from completing that sentence because to complete that sentence, he should have added, that comes to me when you die. 
And so this was such a hard thing for the father to hear because essentially the son was saying, I, I wish you were dead because I want what I would have got when you would have died. And, um, you know, the, the son went and he spent and he had a very hard time. You know, the devil is a hard task master. Um, you know, the Bible says in John 8, 34, those that sin are slaves of sin. The son, uh, you know, ended up as a slave and that's what sin always does to us. Uh, it, it destroys us. And yet we see the beautiful kindness expressed by the father uh, towards his son who is completely undeserving. Uh, you know, the kindness and mercy of the father. And it, it's interesting that, you know, that the father expressed this kindness towards the son before the son had a chance to, um, uh, you know, demonstrate uh, his repentance. And, um, you know, this is the love of the father that God is always reaching out towards lost men kind. And um, the father gives the reason, very interesting here in verse 24, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And again, he re-emphasizes that to the older brother who in many instances you could say is, you know, presents a, a, a type of religious person. You know, the prodigal obviously is, you know, representative or symbolic of, of the sinner, the penitent sinner coming back to Christ. But we see this is a story of two brothers who needed salvation. Two brothers who needed to come back to the father because, you know, while one was uh, outwardly rebellious, the other was inwardly rebellious because um, he said, I never disobeyed your commandments at any time. And yet clearly we see that the son, uh, you know, by inferring that the father had made a, 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 a you know, this son of yours who spent everything, um, clearly he hadn't. Um, because they still had their, their uh, you know, the, the, the farm or whatever they had, but uh, the, the, the older son was, was, was certainly, you know, behaving in a disrespectful manner to the father by not wanting to come in because the father had asked him to come in and yet he refused. So, and this is the deception and the delusion that religious people many times have, um, you know, that they're right with God, but in many instances, while they may not be outwardly sinful, in, in many instances, there is many issues um, in their heart towards God that need to be dealt with as well. And so, um, I, I, I think it's important that we read this parable with um, a, a degree of, of, of humility, and, and it's, it's, you know, it's important that we're not... Uh, you know, like it says in, in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 2, um, don't come near me, I'm holier than thou. That's what it says in the King James. And that's where we get that phrase, holier than thou. It's interesting how many of, of uh, the phrases we see in the Bible actually enter into common usage in the English language. And, you know, I love the English language, I always have. And, um, you know, even when I was in, in secondary school, I, I'd wanted to go and study English uh, 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 literature and um, it didn't work work out, but uh, I, I, I really love the English language, but it's amazing how many uh, idioms and, and, and various phrases that have entered our common uh, speech that have originated in the Bible. Here we see in this parable the term 
safe and sound. It actually comes from the prodigal son, that they found him safe and sound. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very powerful when you see this. And uh, something else you mightn't have realized, you know, the phrase that, that the father uttered two times, your brother was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. I believe that is the parable that, you know, inspired John Newton to write that amazing timeless hymn that has inspired uh, Christians for centuries, amazing grace. And so sometimes we don't necessarily make the connection. I once was lost, but now I was found. I, I'm bl- I was blind, but now I see. I believe that comes directly from this parable. So anyway, I just wanted to, to, to just quickly give a broad overlook of what we're going to be covering today. But the title of the message today is Back to the Father. And I love the story of the prodigal son because for me it epitomizes the endless grace and kindness and mercy uh, of God that he demonstrates towards us because in this story of an earthly father's unwavering love for his wayward son, we're given a, a rare and a privileged glimpse of our father's heart towards wayward mankind and um, because in truth this parable or this story speaks of two fathers and one on earth and the other in heaven It, it presents us with an intimate portrait of the heart of our merciful father God the one from whom all fatherhood originates and finds its source Ephesians 3 14 in the Amplified says for this reason seeing the greatness of this plan by which you are built together in Christ I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that Father from whom all fatherhood takes its title and derives its name. Because you see, this world desperately needs fathers. And um, you know, the gangs of disillusioned youths, um, you know, wandering our streets at night, armed with knives, along with escalating levels of addiction and violence and suicide and depression, are an indication of this. Tragically, this week in this very city, a young man, uh, you know, lost his life because he, he was stabbed. And uh, I, I think it was the very next day in the inner city, another young man was, was stabbed and ended up in hospital. And so, again, uh, you know, I I think it's tragic to see the violence that we're seeing on our streets. And, um, but, but again, I believe much of the dysfunction we're seeing in our society is rooted in fatherlessness. And so, as men and, um, and fathers, I believe the story of the prodigal gives us something that we can strive for as men because clearly as men we can do a lot better. Certainly I know that I can because sometimes when it comes to our children it seems like, you know, characteristics like patience and love and unselfishness and, and kindness comes more naturally uh, to our wives um, uh, than to us as men. But you know what? Notwithstanding the tremendous contribution that women make to rearing the next generation, we see that fathers are indispensable because they play a huge part in both the success of children and a functioning society. And you know, contrary to feminists who are always moaning about the patriarchy, men and 
marriage are still an essential um, part of our society. I believe they're an integral part of God's order. You know, Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens, the earth. He created man. Uh, Interestingly, he made the male and female. There's only two genders, Facebook and everybody else are wrong. But uh, Genesis chapter 2, God introduces marriage because there is a loneliness in man. And so he creates man and woman for each other. They're uh, equal but different. Uh, They complement each other. And it's interesting that God gives us the pattern from the very beginning. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. That's God's pattern. That's God's order. Okay, And so it's important to understand that because... Um, you know, this is how God created it. So uh, this is what I, I need you to understand. You know, that marriage generally leads to babies. I know that there's some couples that can't have children. And, uh, uh, you know, I understand that. But generally, it, you know, marriage leads to babies and thus fatherhood. And to be quite honest, um, that's when many men finally grow up. Okay, because once you have a child, you will see the world very differently. I've once heard it said to be careful of old men who don't have children because they don't care about what state they leave the world in. And um, you may ask why? Well, because they're not as invested in the future uh, as those who have children. Because this describes many world leaders, uh, Merkel, Macron, Varadkar, Sturgeon in Scotland, Mark Rush in the Netherlands, they don't have children. And uh, again, I think this is a rather disturbing pattern that we see among many leaders of Western nations, you know, it's symbolic of a a dying society that has embraced, you know, hedonistic values with no real sense of responsibility to the next generation. And so I think it's a tragic characteristic of our modern society that there are men who either abdicate their responsibility or don't take it seriously. Um, Allowing the woman to bear all the responsibility uh, and all of the load for raising the next generation, I think this is sad. Because those men will one day stand before the judge of eternity, the one who created fatherhood, the one who created family. I just read it there. All family and fatherhood originates in God. And uh, you know what? Their excuses of I wasn't ready um, will ring very hollow in that day when they stand before him who has eyes like a flame of fire. And, you know, again, let me add, abortion is a terrible sin. But you know what? The number one reason why women uh, go through with this is because there is a man who won't stand with them. And so let me say this. If you're man enough to sleep with her, you better be man enough to stand with her and to support her and be a father to the child that you helped to create and quit the stupidity of, um, I'm not ready for this. That's the chance you take when you sleep with another person because whether you realize it or not, that's where babies come from. Okay? So, as a fa- and, and let me add, as a believer, you should know better anyway and wait until marriage. That's God's order. Okay? And it's tragic that many men in our generation are staying in a place of perpetual arrested uh, adolescence, you know, 40-year-old adolescents living in their mother's spare room, you know, uh, going from one superficial relationship to another, playing online video games with 10-year-olds, and then complaining about the state of the world. No, let me give you some stats on fatherlessness. 
71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 71% of teen pregnancies. 85% of children with behavioral disorders. 90% of homeless and runaway children. 63% of youth suicides. 85% of youth in prison. And the vast majority of men in prison for violent crime all come from fatherless homes. Now, don't despair if you're a single mom. We believe God is the father of the fatherless, and we can pray and stand in the gap. This isn't about demonizing anybody, whether single moms or single dads. I'm just simply saying God's order is, you know, uh, male and female. And so, uh, but, but this is the thing, you know, let me add to this. In the U.S., 24.7 million, or 33% of children, don't live with their biological father. That is a big problem. You know, you can talk about institutional racism all day long, but you know what? I believe the biggest problem in the U.S. is fatherlessness and in the Western world in general. You know, a 2018 study in the U.S. showed that approximately 65% of African Americans, uh, 53% of American Indians, 41% of Hispanic and Latinos, and 24% of white people are born into single-person households. So, you know, all of those are, are, are millions of children that are growing up without a father. And so, 1 Corinthians are a mother. 1 Corinthians 4.15, uh, and, and, you know, you, you may respond, yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, Donald Trump is out, the world is going to be perfect again. Uh, that's, that's delusional, you know, this idea that the Democrats are going to fix everything. This isn't going to be fixed by politics. This isn't going to be fixed by burning down buildings or marching or doing anything else. This is going to be fixed when we choose to address fatherhood and family. See, from the Garden of Eden, man has been looking to pass the blame. What was the first thing man did? He blamed the woman. The woman blamed the serpent. Nobody wants to take responsibility. But much of the dysfunction and social disorder that we're seeing in our society is rooted in fatherlessness. You might say, well, what has this got to do with the father? You can't understand how to be the father you're called to be unless you know the father. Amen? Because while our society grapples with an epidemic of issues rooted in fatherlessness, unfortunately, in many instances, the church isn't really all that different. 1 Corinthians 4.15 in the Amplified. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. The Amplified says, For even if you were to have 10,000 teachers to guide you in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers who led you to Christ and assumed responsibility for you. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the good news of salvation. One of the greatest needs I see in the church right now is for men who have a father's heart. You know, I thank God for Pastor Joe, the man who led me to Christ uh, almost 30 years ago. Uh, led me into the baptism of the Holy Spirit that night. And he took time to mentor me. And, you know, I, I, I learned a lot by watching him. You know, Frank Cairns has encouraged Joanna and myself for the over 20 years. You know, after every sermon on a Sunday, he would come up and encourage me about the message, whether it was good or bad, he'd always said it was good. Every week he'll send me an email, even since we've been shut down, and he's an encourager, and he's been such a blessing to me. He's, he's got a father's heart. You know, 
And, and this is the thing. We need men that are willing to lift the next generation. And as a consequence of uh, the breakdown of the family, this is the issue. There are many children who literally go from week to week and month to month without any male input whatsoever. You know, it's interesting that you never hear feminists talking about gender imbalance in schools. But yet, the vast majority of teachers in primary school are women. And so, this isn't about demonizing women. This is about simply saying, you know, it's not healthy if children are only getting um, input from the feminine side. Because as a man and a woman, you bring different things to your children. Okay? So Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. Um, you know, the last... Uh, John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet, but obviously the Old Testament uh, ends as such with Malachi. And between Malachi and the, the ministry of John the Baptist, there was a silence of approximately 420 years. And if you think of uh, 420 uh, years back from now, that's, you're back in the 1600s. That is, you know, so, such a long period of time. And if you think of God was going to be silent for 420 years, you know, what would God say before he would be silent? Because we always think of somebody's last words of having tremendous significance. Well, here in the book of Malachi, the last two verses says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So I believe much of our societies are operating under a curse uh, because of fatherlessness, because of men who refuse to take the responsibility to be the men God's called them to be. But God prophesied that in the end days, he would raise up fathers. He would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Because so many issues in our modern society, whether domestic violence, crime, gangs, homosexuality, dysfunction in our homes, violence in our streets, marriage breakup, poverty, they're all rooted in fatherlessness. Because let me say this, it's hard to be what you did not see. Okay, this is why you see so many effeminate young men confused about their sexuality because they've never been around a man. They've never had a man in the home to know how a man behaves. And they, therefore, they don't know how to treat a woman. Because they've never seen that. And therefore, I think this is important. This isn't about demonizing anybody. It's about simply acknowledging God created an order. Because many uh, children grow up without the influence of a father. And therefore, there are things that they just don't learn. There are things I learned by just simply watching my father. Amen? So this is another reason why if we want to be truly effective as a church, we must come back to the Father. Because He is the answer to every question. He has the provision for every need. And this is why in our Heavenly Father, we find forgiveness. Luke 15 verse 20 he embraced him as a son and not as a sinner. And this is the beautiful thing we see in the story of the prodigal son. In verse 20, he arose, came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And so the, the father greeted him with forgiveness, okay? He embraced him as a son, not as a sinner. We see a father who has standards, but is willing to forgive the truly repentant. First John chapter 1 and verse 9. 
um, uh, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us from all sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of you might say, Pastor, you talk about forgiveness too much. Well, I don't know about you, but all I can say is I certainly need it. And I thank God that he's a God who forgives. And this is the beauty of the gospel message that, that, that you can have a new beginning, that God can turn your mess into a miracle, that he can cleanse and deliver you from your sin. Okay? And so the first thing uh, the father did um, in, in verse uh, 21, the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He didn't even get to finish the rest about being a servant. But the father, the father just interrupts him and says to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring in his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring out the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And this is, you know, a parallel to what happens us in the Christian life when we accept Christ as our Savior. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his own dear son. Colossians chapter 1. And again, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man's in Christ, he is a new creature. God has brought us out of death into life. We are born again into a new life through Jesus Christ. And so... This is the powerful thing we see here is the father clothed him with a robe. That was symbolic of the robe of righteousness. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22 speaks of the robe of righteousness that God has placed upon all of those who have called on his name. And uh, I'm just going to read it here. Second uh, Corinthians 1 and 22. And it says, um, who has sealed us. Uh, sorry, that's the wrong one. Uh, Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Uh, he, he's clothed us with the robe of righteousness. Secondly, he put a ring, uh, which was, uh, again, uh, had the family seal. And so in the same way, he sealed us with his spirit. And this is what it talks about here. It says, uh, who has sealed us uh, and uh, given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The Bible talks about the earnest of the spirit. Amen. So he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. So that, that, that ring was a symbol of authority. It was a, a seal. It, it bared the family seal. Um, again, Ephesians 4.30. And it says, And do not grieve the spirit of God with whom you are sealed to the day of redemption. And so we must understand that we're, we're not just forgiven. We are sealed with the spirit. We have the robe of righteousness. We have the ring which is the earnest of the Spirit. First Peter 1 and verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So again, we have a living hope even in these dark times. Our Father wiped away our past and released us from sin and shame. I said it last Sunday, but it bears repeating. God doesn't love us because Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us because God the Father loves us. Amen. So you have been forgiven. Maybe you need to start acting like it. Amen. If you're saved, tell your face. So we see the kindness of the Father, not only in his merciful dealings with the prodigal, but also in his merciful dealings with the elder brother. Because again, when the elder brother says, your son, he responds by saying, your brother. 
Thank God that we serve a father who forgives. Amen. Uh, John Bunyan said this, No child of God sins to that degree as to make himself incapable of forgiveness. And this is the beautiful thing. I don't know where you've been or what you've done or how you failed, but I know this, you can be forgiven. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Let me read this quote. I believe that as often as I transgress, God is more ready to forgive me than I am ready to offend. Thank God, amen, that God is more ready to forgive us than we are to offend him. Charles Spurgeon, isn't that encouraging that we are forgiven, that we are called, we are loved. So in the Father we find forgiveness. Secondly, we find fellowship. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 to 4, Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father. We call him Father because we are family. And uh, I'm going to read it here. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father. Amen. Thank God. First John 1, verse 3, it says, um, uh, Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. If we walk in the light, it says, that which we've seen from the beginning, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we have fellowship with the Father. And sadly, at times, it seems the church has been satisfied by religion when we've been called to relationship. And we see this demonstrated in the Pharisees who are ritualists. And the Sadducees, who are rationalists, but neither has the answer to the needs of the day. Because one looks back, while the other looks within. One magnifies tradition, while the other magnifies self, but neither magnifies God. And so this is why it's important that we don't fall into the trap of, of either the Sadducee or the Pharisee. Amen? Um, and so Revelation 3 and verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You see, we are called to intimate fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And a lot of, I know a lot of Christian soul winners use that to win souls, but that's not addressed to the lost and a dying world. That is addressed to the church. Uh, Jesus was talking to the church here, and he said, I knock at the door of your heart and ask. And so sadly, there are some Christians who are so busy, are so distracted, are so uh, you know, bound in sin, that the door of their heart is closed to the master, and he's knocking on the door, and he's asking to come in. And what's he saying? I'll eat with you. You'll have fellowship with me. Amen. And this is what God the Father wants with us. Amen. So we are called to intimate fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. The church has always faced challenges through the ages and now is no different. But no matter what the problem, the answer is always found in His presence. Amen? So we're called to fellowship with God, fellowship with each other. Exodus 33 and verse 6, probably my favorite chapter in the Bible. 
And it says, so the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments at Mount Horeb. And talking uh, to so many ministers right now, I'm so excited. We've over 40 ministers from Ireland and the UK are going to be gathered together in prayer, speaking life, speaking blessing uh, over our nations next Saturday. But you know, one of the things that really is coming across to me, talking to so many different ministers and so many wonderful men and women of God that he's brought into my life over this um, challenging period uh, is there is a sifting going on in the body of Christ right now. And so it's important that, that we're not, you know, blaming government and, you know, uh, blaming uh, so many different things. We must open our hearts and say, Lord, what do you want to do in this season? Because God is pruning us whether we like it or not. And nobody likes pruning. And it's interesting that, you know, any of you who know what gar- gardening, anytime you have pruned, whether a bush or a tree, it doesn't look very impressive. And right now, the church of Jesus Christ doesn't look very impressive, you know, with the churches closed and, you know, with a lot of people gone to ground, etc. But you know what? I believe out of this time of pruning, we're going to see a great harvest. Amen? Hallelujah. I believe that in Jesus' name. We're going to see a harvest and an awakening and a revival like has never been seen on this planet before. Amen? But, um, Anyway, uh, it's, it's important for us to, to, to grasp this. It says that the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments in Mount Horeb. And right now I see a church that's being stripped of its ornaments. Because, again, I've said it for many years, when as a church we feel that our greatest setting point is our coffee, or our music, or our lights, or our comfortable seats, or our various programs, uh, we, we have... We have drifted. We have lost the plot. We have uh, not understood. You know, the gospel has to be central. We must be a Christ-centered church with a Christ-centered message and, and, and unashamed of the gospel. I think this is important because, you know, when you see ministers that are ashamed to address certain issues... Okay, and you have Christians who are so uh, disconnected from a biblical worldview that they can celebrate the election of, uh, you know, Joe Biden in the U.S., you know, one of the probably the most radical pro-abortion uh, governments that have been elected in recent uh, memory. Uh, th- there's a major problem. When you have pastors who, uh, you know, feel comfortable to talk about, you know, BLM, but they don't want to talk about abortion, there's a problem. There's a problem because we have become disconnected from a biblical worldview. When we're ashamed to talk about sexuality from a Christian perspective because we know that we may get persecution, we have a problem. So you see, God stripped them of their ornaments by Mount Herb. And let me say this, right now I believe God is stripping the church of its ornaments. There are certain preachers you're not going to hear of in the future. There are certain churches that have been big and influential in the past. They are not going to be influential in the times to come. Because... Christ must be at the center and there is an anointing for this hour that we have to step into. Amen. We're not going to do church the way it's been done in the past. Amen. God is stripping us of some things that did not give him glory. Hallelujah. That's good preaching whether you like it or not. That is the truth. Praise you Jesus. And we must allow God to strip us of those ornaments, of those godless Things, you know, uh, you know, pastors buying into all of this foolishness, and I, I, that's all I can describe it as, you know, foolishness, you know, these church, these church growth programs, that Christ is no longer at the center, where the focus is on avoiding offending people, 
Where the focus is on entertaining and, and, and just making fee- people feel welcome, but you know, never addressing the, the, the core issue of the gospel, which calls for repentance. Mark 1, Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. As a preacher, I'm not looking to be contentious. I'm not looking to be controversial. I'm not looking to demean or disrespect anybody. But the first thing we must understand is the gospel calls us to repent. And how can people repent if we refuse to call sin what it is? Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Many successful pastors have taken a scissors and cut away the last part of what Christ said there. I don't condemn you. We love you. We embrace you. Yes, wonderful. The gospel calls us. Amen. God loves everybody. But he calls us to repent. Turn from our sin. How can people turn from their sin if we're ashamed to call sin what it is? He stripped them of their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Moses took the tent and pitched it outside the tent, far from the tent. The days of convenient Christianity is over. I've had people come to my face and say, Pastor, I can't come to your church anymore. I had to take two buses. Two buses. You know, there's people in Africa that walk for four or five hours just to get to church. And they'll have church all day. And then they'll walk home again. But you have to sit on a bus to come to church. And we wonder why the churches are closed when people have an attitude like that. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Where are the men and women who are determined to see God's glory come and be manifested in their generation? Where are the men and women who are willing to pay the price and get on their knees and say, Lord, I don't care if I'm inconvenienced. I don't care what this costs me. I don't care what sacrifice I have to make. I want to see my generation come to Christ. Where are the men like John Knox? Give me Scotland or I die. Queen Mary was, she wasn't afraid of armies. She was afraid of his prayers. Why? Because he was sold out to Jesus Christ. Where are the men and women like that today? Oh, say, some of you thought I was radical in the past. You don't know. You don't know what God's been doing in my soul lately. I've become connected to something. And all I can describe it is, you know what? Hallelujah. Hang on, baby. Put on your seatbelt. We're going to see God's glory and God's power in our generation in Jesus' name. John, John Wesley said, don't worry about what to preach. Talking to you about preachers. Just let God set you on fire and the world will come to watch you burn. It's time for the fire of God to come. Praise you, Jesus. Lord God, touch our generation. Touch our generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Open their hearts to you, O Lord, in Jesus' name. He stripped them of their ornaments at Mount Horeb. He said, come on, take that off. That's from the world. We've got to stop trying to imitate the world. We have a message. We have a message. 
glory to God, we don't have to imitate anybody. We have something straight from heaven. We got something you're not going to find in the nightclub. We got something you're not going to find through drugs or alcohol or porn or anywhere else. We have something sacred, something holy, something beautiful, something that will change your life forever. It is your Father. Oh, you see, we are called to encounter our Heavenly Father. And when you encounter the Father, you encounter His love. You encounter His mercy. You encounter His grace. But before you do, there are some things that have to go. This is why some Christians don't understand why God doesn't move in their life. Go back to the last thing He told you to do. There's some things you need to surrender. Maybe it's your opinion or your pride or some secret sin or some area of compromise. You see, Israel were about to encounter God in a, in a new and a powerful way. But first, they had to get rid of the things of Egypt. They stripped themselves of their ornaments. I believe repentance is such an important part. And you know, this Saturday, I believe there's going to be repentance. You know, certainly for myself as an Irishman, uh, you know, it's been going through my heart so strongly, the importance of repenting of the hatred and vitriol and resentment that we've carried for centuries, that we've perpetuated, that we have visited from father to son to son, from generation to generation, just demonizing and hating British people. We have to get over that. We have to repent of that in Jesus. Jesus' name. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp. It was far from the camp, so it, 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 there was a degree of effort involved. Amen. He had to walk. And, and this is why, again, people miss God. They don't realize you know, in Acts chapter 24, and it says, Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. They're not exactly subjects you're going to encounter in a typical megachurch. But this is Paul the Apostle, the man God used to write half the New Testament. And he's not talking about prosperity. He's not talking about how you can be blessed and how you can have a great life and all of these various things. Yes, the gospel will bring blessing into your life. But look and, and listen to what Paul the Apostle here is saying. As he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. That Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. And when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. He said, when it's convenient to me, I'll call for you. But that is not how you come to God. You don't come to God on your terms. You don't serve Him on your terms. You serve Him on His. And there is no record that Felix ever got saved. He came under conviction, but he didn't respond to Christ. And this is the tragedy that, you know, for the last 2,000 years, that man has had, you know, almost 2,000 years in hell to reflect on his mistake. To reject Christ. And you know why you rejected him? Because it wasn't convenient. No, we can have revival, but let me tell you this. We're not going to have revival as long as we take this convenience attitude to serving God. I'll pray, Lord, but no more than 10 minutes. 
I'll read your Bible, Lord, but you know what? Uh, once a week is fine with me. I'll come to church, Lord, but maybe once, you know, once a month or maybe sometimes, maybe once every two weeks, every two weeks. You know, I think that's good. You should be happy with that, God, yeah? You should be pretty impressed. With that. That's more than most people. That's not how it's going to be in these days to come. There's going to be a very clear delineation between light and darkness. Those who are in darkness are going to become even darker. I was talking to my wife yesterday. She just mentioned some, some actor and, and, you know, that apparently that he was involved in cannibalism. I was like, Jesus. But, you know, this is the reality. People are going to become more deluded, more deceived, more wicked, more evil. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People are going to become more sold out to either darkness or light. I know what, one, what side I want to be on in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to serve Jesus with all of my heart. Praise you, Jesus. You know, with this series, I've, 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 I've really tried to do encapsulate each message as a standalone and one, but I, I'm going to have to do two parts on the Father, but that's okay. You know, we'll, we'll work our way around that, but just give me a few minutes and I'm going to finish and, and, and then we'll, we'll finish the message next Sunday. Um, but, you know, Exodus chapter 3 is such a beautiful uh, chapter because, you know, on the surface it looked like they lost something because they were stripped of their ornaments. But you know what? Sometimes you have to lose some things that don't matter in order that you can gain some things that really do matter. Amen. You know, I'm, I'm watching much less TV than, than, than I ever have. You know, I, I, I just don't have, have, have time because there's something has gripped my heart in his word. And I've been just having such wonderful times of fellowship, just, just reading his word. And, and, you know, sometimes God has to bring you back to your, your first love. And, and that's what I did when I was first saved. Is I just, just could just read for hours and hours and hours and hours. I was just so hungry to know God. And I believe God wants to bring some of us back to that place. It wasn't that I wasn't reading, you know, before this. But, you know, just this whole season, I've, I've stopped being frustrated with, with the outward and saying, Lord, okay, you know, you're sovereign. You're in control. What do you want to do in my heart during this season? Amen? What do you want to do in me? What, help me to be ready so that when that wave comes, I'm like the surfer and I'm ready to go with it in Jesus' name. And it says, so Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. Amen. So it wasn't convenient. And so it was whenever Moses went out of the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. You see, he's a father. And, and all a father wants is to be able to, to spend time with his child. You know, my dad, in his later years, he used to often, you know, reflect anytime he saw me. He said, John, you know, of all the eight children, you were the only one who used to come in. Uh, he used to be watching TV, and I used to just come in. I was just a little, small, fat little kid, and I used to just come in and climb up on his lap, and I used to just sit there for hours. 
I used to sit there for hours because I was with my dad. He wasn't talking to me and I wasn't talking to him. You know, neither of us, uh, my, my dad wasn't the person that, that, would, that would talk a lot. But you know what? I was, I was just happy to be in his presence. And you know what? That's the way some of us need to, 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 to be. We need to come back to where we're just comfortable in his presence, where we're not just giving God a list of requests or a list of complaints or where we're not shouting at God. You know, some Christians don't understand prayer. They think the louder you pray, the more powerful it is. And, and uh, you know, I'm reminded of the, of the line from um, the, the movie, The Apostle. And, uh, you know, this man, his marriage had broken up. His life was falling apart. And he went back to his mother's house. He went up to his room. And he started crying out to God. And it was a beautiful prayer. And he was shouting. And the, it was so loud, the neighbor complained. And the neighbor called. And his mother, uh, who was uh, June Carter Cash, uh, you know, wonderful Christian woman. And, uh, but she was uh, playing the part of his mother. And... Um, so she answered the phone and the neighbor's going on you know your son is so loud I can hear him I can't even sleep he's so loud and she said well she said you know sometimes my son he he prays every night but sometimes he talks to God and sometimes he shouts and tonight he's shouting and she puts down the phone (laughs) it's just so funny and listen, I know there's a place to shout, but understand this, more than anything else, your father wants you. What does it say in the book of Proverbs? My son, give me your heart. My son, give me your heart. He's not looking for your money. He's not looking for your gifts. He's not looking for what you can do for him. He wants you. He wants you to just come into his presence. And you know what? When you discover that, you realize, you know what? It's not a problem to give. It's not a problem to serve. It's not a problem to do whatever he's calling you to do when you've been in his presence. And this is why God talked to Moses face to face as a man talks to his friend. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud. And it says, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp to his servant, Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, a young man who, who did not depart from the tabernacle. And this is the beautiful thing, is that, you know what, Moses was spending time with the father, but Moses had a father's heart. He had Joshua. And he was raising up the next generation. He didn't see him as, uh, you know, somebody who just needed to serve him. No, he included Joshua and Joshua was so hungry for God he didn't even leave the tabernacle. He lived there. You know, it's like the psalmist said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Do you have that heart? Do you have that desire to encounter God? Because you can encounter him today. As the worship group come forward, you can encounter God the Father. You can encounter his love. Yes, you may have failed. You may have fallen short. I know I have fallen short in so many ways in so many aspects of my life but I thank God for his grace I thank God that just as God showed grace to the prodigal through the father just as God showed grace to Peter God showed grace to Saul whose name was changed to Paul so too he'll show grace to you he is a loving father he is a merciful father he is a kind father he loves you he knows you nobody knows you better than God he knows you 
better than you know yourself. Your father loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I look at the cross and I'm reminded that I matter. That I matter to my father so much that he was willing to give his son Jesus to suffer and die in my place. I thank you, Father, for your presence today in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that you are with us, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? I thank you, Father, that you are in this place today, Lord. I thank you that you are ministering your grace to those who are watching today all over this nation and all through the nations, Lord God. You are calling your children to yourself in these final days. You're calling them out of religion. You're calling them out of unbelief. You're calling them out of sin and perversion. You're calling them out of every false ideology and philosophy of man, Lord, and you're calling them to yourself. You're saying, come to the Father in Jesus' name. Come to the Father because His arms are open wide. Just as the arms of the Father were extended to the prodigal son, so too your arms are extended towards a lost and a dying world. For God so loved the world. Lord, it was your love that moved Christ to come to this earth to suffer and die in our place. He was doing what he did in obedience to you, the Father. Oh, Lord God, I thank you that you're a Father who loves us. You're a Father who sees us, not for where we've been, but for where we're going. Not for what we are, but for what we can be. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We are all guilty sinners in need of a Savior, but thank God that those of us who have accepted Christ are no longer sinners. We are saints. You have clothed us with the robes of your righteousness. We have been justified in your name and we thank God that our past no longer exists because through the Father we have forgiveness. I thank God that I am forgiven. I thank God that I am forgiven. I thank God that I'm forgiven, that I'm righteous, that I've right standing with you, Lord. Not because I've done everything right, because I've done many things wrong, but I thank God for the grace of God that I've encountered, that I encountered the love of the Father back in August 1991. I encountered your grace, Lord. I encountered the love of a Father that I'd never experienced before. I thank God. We have forgiveness and we have fellowship. Lord, you remember how I used to go up to those, the shed at night and pray and pray in tongues and, and worship you and, and just enjoying fellowship with you, enjoying fellowship with your word. Lord, your word has been with me in, in the ups and the downs, Lord. You've been with me in good times and in bad. You've been with me, Lord. Your word has been the foundation that has enabled my life to stand through the storms. I thank you, Father, that we can fellowship with you, that we can experience your, your presence, that we can encounter you, Lord. Oh, Father, 
the times I've encountered you, Lord God. Lord, every time I've stood up here to preach, I've encountered your presence. Those times when nobody else was around me and I was discouraged and struggling, I encountered your grace, Lord. Father, I thank you. I thank you for that, that service with Pastor Paul when, when I was... I was hanging on by my fingernails, Lord. And I didn't feel like I could go on. And I encountered your love. And I encountered your call. I encountered your presence and your mercy. And your forgiveness, Lord. I want to thank you. That in spite of where I've fallen short, that you love me. That you've called me. And that you are calling me every person today into a deeper walk with you to put aside the hurts and the offenses and the lies and the deception and to just come to you as a child and so Lord we, we come before you today we come before you you are a good good father for you so loved us that you gave Jesus and so, Father, we just thank you right now for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Father God, that, that your glory is going to be manifested in our life. And you're bringing us into a deeper walk with you. How many of you are ready for a deeper walk with God? Because he's a father. He's first and foremost a father. And he's just asking you today to sit on his lap, to surrender your pain. To surrender your shame, to surrender your hurts, your struggles, your past, your present, your future. Just lay it all down at his feet. And just know this, you are loved. You are loved by God the Father. I'm reminded of that book that was written by that Pakistani lady back in the 70s. I dared to call him father you see so many of us didn't grow up with a proper understanding of fatherhood sadly this nation is dealing with so much dysfunction and hurt as a consequence of men who didn't know how to be fathers because you can't give what you don't have you can't be what you didn't see. And this is why we come to you, Father. You know everything. And you can help us to be the men and women that you've called us to be. And so before I pray, a general prayer, I want to pray if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. The invitation has been given. Come to the Father. Come to the Father today. Just pray this simple prayer with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in my heart that you were born of a virgin. I believe that you lived a perfect life. And I believe that when you died on the cross, you died in my place, bearing my sin and shame. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus Christ, and forgive me of my sins. 
I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Father, I accept you. I surrender to you. I come to you. Heal my heart. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for every person watching today in the name of Jesus. Just pray this prayer with me right now. Just lift your hands and say, Father, I come to you. I come through the blood. I come through your grace. And I say, Father, do what you want to do in me. Father, heal my heart. Father, change my life. I surrender to your love. And I say, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'm yours, Father. You are mine. In Jesus' name. If you believe that, give a shout of praise to the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Oh, I know there's people watching today and you've experienced rejection. You've experienced heartbreak. Maybe you've done all sorts of things that you're ashamed of. Hear the voice of the Father as He declares, Behold, I make all things new. The Father can make all things new in your life today. So just surrender right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray for healing from those, Lord, you, you, Lord God, you promised, Lord, that you would bring liberty to the captives, Lord. Father, I just declare healing right now over those who need it in the name of Jesus Christ. Father God, I thank you, Lord God, that you are a healer, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me today, Lord, because, Lord, you've anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. You've sent me, Lord, to heal the brokenhearted. And Lord, there are people today who are brokenhearted. Maybe they experience betrayal, betrayal or rejection. Or maybe they made a mess of things, Lord. I don't know, but Lord, you came to heal the brokenhearted, Lord. Heal, Lord. Heal those, Lord, who are wounded. Heal those who have failed. Heal those, maybe, who went through abortions, Lord God. Heal those who still carry the scars of the things they have done in their past. Lord, bring healing to the brokenhearted in the name of Jesus, Lord. Hallelujah. Bring healing to the brokenhearted, Lord. And I proclaim, Lord, liberty to the captives in Jesus' name. If you are captive to pornography, if you are captive to depression, if you are a captive to addiction, if you are a captive to any issue or bondage right now, in the name of Jesus, if you are a captive to the memories, maybe you were abused or hurt, I don't know, I declare healing in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, let the Father bring healing and wholeness to his children right now in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name healing 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 we declare it if you need healing in your body I declare healing right now liberty from cancer liberty from MS liberty in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus liberty from diabetes in the name
Jesus.